Hey, church. Yeah. That was a bit quiet. A bit sad. A bit defeated. Talk about victory tonight, guys. I was a bit weak. It's okay. It's all right. We have those moments. Uh, so good to be with you tonight. Uh, we are um, about halfway through our series uh, on union with Christ, being united with Christ. It's a doctrine series, so um, love you have Bibles open. We're going to be jumping through a mountain of scripture tonight. Um, the slides are on Facebook if you want to follow them up later, and we'll, yeah, we'll jump through a whole bunch, and you'll be like, I can't possibly write all this down. That's okay. That's why I gave you the slides on Facebook. Um, we're talking about uh, victory tonight. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in and think a little bit about defeat first. Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you so much that we get to gather under your word. Thank you that yeah, we get to be here with you. Father, you are big and we are small. Thanks for being our Lord of all. Thank you that uh, you are not a God that is far away, but you are with us and for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's where we're going tonight. Uh, first, we're going to think about living in a culture of defeat. Then we're going to think about being united with Christ's victory, and then finally living in a culture of victory. First, living in a culture of defeat. Uh, there's an interesting thought when you think about Christianity and victory. I don't know if you would describe Christians as thinking of themselves as victorious people. I think you would just use other words. Um, every time it seems the moment when an ethical issue or an issue that touches on a foundational thing that followers of Jesus believe, or anything comes into contention, uh, I think we get a vibe of defeat. A feel of we're losing something in history. Christianity is on the losing side of history, is the sense. When scripture comes up for question, when the marriage plebiscite happens, um, uh, when the abortion bill comes up, when um, the euthanasia bill comes up in the future, uh, constantly these moments that there are notches of defeat on the belt of secular society marching to defeat God's ideal world. That we exist in a space of conflict and we don't seem to be winning. A constant sense of loss. And I hear this phrase all the time. I don't know what's happening with the world. And we get this idea that um, Christianity was great in like 33 AD when Jesus was around, but then ever since then it's just been a steady decline to like now. We're just slowly wearing away and then at some point it'll just get down to zero. I don't know what's happening with the world. And the fruit of this, uh, this way of thinking about the world um, uh, seems to be fear. Fear of defeat, far from victory, but a sense of fear of defeat. And that fear produces things in us, produces fruit. That fear produces anxiety. Rather than Christians being described as people of joy and hopefulness, uh, we seem to be people that are anxious about the future. I hear people say, I don't know what kind of world our kids will grow up in. I've had all the pastors say to me, Miles, I don't know what kind of world you're going to have to minister in in the future. And I think, gee, thanks. Thanks for setting me up for the win. Rather than hope and joy as a potential uh, for Christians in the culture, uh, we experience this defeat and we live in fear and anxiety. We're like a little kid who get, uh, lost his parents at the shops and we don't know where we are and we don't know where to go and so we cry. Fear produces anxiety, fear of defeat. It also produces um, isolation and exclusivity. In a place when uh, you feel like you're under attack and you're being defeated by the world around you, um, natural responses are fight or flight. 
which are responses to moving away from other people. When we feel like we're under attack, it creates a moment of there's an us versus them. There's the enemy out there and we need to create communities that hide from the enemy. When we fear defeat and loss, we look for the enemy and we retreat to the safe places. The enemy has become those who disagree with us on different issues. And safe places have become the groups of people that agree with us. We look for safe echo chambers where we can say our opinion out into the world of our little echo chamber and everyone repeats it back to us so we feel safe. When we fear attack, church becomes an exclusive safe haven of people who have the same lifestyles, political stances and agreement about what is socially acceptable. We are welcoming, but to belong is built on an agreement of being the same. Our evangelism is undermined and defeated by the fact that before we even talk to anyone about Jesus, we fear the conflict that will occur because we think differently to them. We miss out and lose the conversation before we've even started. We live in a culture of defeat. It's a pretty negative way to start a sermon, I know. It's all right, it gets better. Much better, I think. We've been doing this series, uh, United with Christ, and one of the key ideas that Shane set up in the very first week was the idea of um, being united with Christ means there is an agency in which we receive the blessings of Christ, and there's participation, where we um, participate in the life of Christ and his story. And that particularly helps us in this moment, where we think about participating in the life of Christ, in the victory of Christ, particularly because we need to first start off by going, when you have a victory, you need to find an enemy. Protagonist needs an antagonist. Here's some stories to help us think about that a little bit. When you think about the story of God, you've got the story, there's a setting, there's an enemy, there's a hero, and there's an epilogue. Here's some stories for us. Uh, Harry Potter, there's a setting, the wizarding world, the enemy, Voldemort, the hero, Harry Potter, epilogue, wizarding world saved. Hooray. Uh, Ashes, uh, Old Trafford, game's on tonight, the enemy, England. Uh, The hero, Australia, but let's be real, let's be real, the hero is actually Steve Smith. Yeah? Yeah. Like, <laughs> we, the one game we lost is the one he's injured for, like far out. Uh, and the epilogue, we win the Ashes tonight, game on. Uh, and um, another story for you this morning, the setting, my bedroom, uh, the enemy, the cold outside, the hero, the warmth of my bed, the epilogue, warmth is enjoyed for the extra five minutes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but a story, so you participate in a story. You've experienced now some stories, some hopeful stories, some true stories, um, some made-up stories. Uh, but we do the same thing with God's Word. We see things in terms of story, and we participate in that story. Here's how it plays out with God's Word. We've got a setting, an enemy, a hero, an epilogue. Here's the big story, the story of creation, fall and sin, Jesus and in Christ. See, the enemy in God's story is sin. And it turns out when we look through God's word, sin has some cronies. Sin has some people that are his backups. Sin has lordship under Satan, being led and shaped by the curse of sin and trajectory of death. What we're going to do tonight is just walk through God's word and walk through this story and build a picture of this story of Christ's victory for us. Let's jump in. First, uh, we see in creation, we see lordship. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree the knowledge of good and evil. There is a command. 
There is a limitation placed upon uh, humanity. There is someone who is over us and in charge of us. There is a Lord. And so in the very beginning, the Lordship is under God. In the same verses in Genesis 2, uh, we see that we are led and shaped by God. The Lord God took the man and put him, uh, man and woman, and put them in the garden uh, of Eden to work it and take care of it. Humanity is given a purpose and a place. We're shaped by the direction that God gives humanity and we're given a responsibility under that lordship. We're led and shaped by that. Adam and Eve understand their identity and how they live as those who are the ones who take care of the garden. And then the trajectory is, for when you eat from it... Uh, oh, sorry, started a bit earlier. Uh, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Trajectory is life. If you don't eat from that tree, if you eat from the tree of life, your trajectory is life. So in creation, we see this beautiful place of flourishing where we are under the lordship of God, where we are led and shaped by God's purpose for us, and our trajectory is life. And then, the enemy, sin, followed by his cronies. First, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, that's Satan. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In that moment, there is a lie that is fed to humanity and humanity, Adam and Eve, decide to listen to Satan rather than listen to God. They give lordship over their lives to Satan rather than to God. And that continues through uh, to Jesus' time. This is Jesus talking, and he says, uh, he's talking to a whole bunch of people in a crowd. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. We're under the lordship of the devil. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, sin invites us to live under the lordship of Satan, and he leads us from the truth of God to lies. His greatest aim is to not have us living in the truth of God. So we live in that space. And then we're led and shaped by um, the curse of sin. Uh, this is the curse as, as God just, um, gives it to Adam and Eve before he kicks them out of the garden. Uh, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. There is a, um, the first very community and family uh, starts to have conflict within it. Starts to have a space of um, competitiveness and selfishness that competes against each other and causes harm and hurt. Communities are broken. We hurt each other. There is a curse of sin in our relationships. It kicks off in the first family and continues in all families and communities to follow. And cursed is the ground because of you. The very nature and way of life as we exist in the world is shaped by the curse of sin. It is a harder place to be than it was in the garden. Work is harder. There is toil. There is pain. There is sickness. There is sadness. There is difficulty. And we are shaped by that in the fall. And we see it play out. Uh, in other ways, uh, in Romans 1, as it continues through the New Testament, uh, uh, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who was forever praised. Amen. Because of this, so because of that sin, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Because of the exchange of lordship to being under sin, the exchange of God um, to being in sin, uh, the repercussions were, God said, well, be, be handed over to the curse. Live with the fruit of that. I give you over to your shameful lusts and desires. And so we are entrapped and enslaved in those moments through sin. And the final crony is our trajectory of death. 
Right at the end of the curse, it says, Until you return to the ground, uh, since from it you are taken, and from, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. In Romans 5.12, Therefore just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. In Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. There is our enemy, and there, is our, there are his cronies. And what we've seen as we've thought um, about union with Christ uh, over this period of time, we've thought about the idea that what is true of Christ uh, becomes true of us. When the plane gets to Hawaii, you get to Hawaii. When Christ has victory, that is our victory for us. When Christ has victory, that becomes a victory for us. We see it play out in Jesus. In Jesus' victory over Satan, um, uh, Jesus interacts with, uh, with the devil right at the beginning of his ministry. He's just been baptized, gets taken off to the desert, uh, and he's interacting with um, Satan, and Satan feeds him lies. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Adam responded to the lie. Adam and Eve responded to the lie by accepting the lie. Jesus responds to the lie by giving truth. He defeats Satan. He gives, has victory over him and brings about um, a lordship under Christ for us in Christ. This is my favorite picture of Jesus in Revelation 19. Um, it's the image of uh, Jesus as this like, general of this army. He's on this giant white horse. He has like, lasers coming out of his eyes and the sharp sword that comes out of his mouth. And he has a massive tattoo on his leg and he's defeating the armies. I love this picture of Jesus as victorious um, general of the army taking down Satan. And I a little bit love because it kind of condones tattoos. It doesn't, but it kind of does. And on his leg, he has a tattoo that says, King of kings and Lord of lords. King over all kings. Lord over all lords. He is given the place over everyone that has ever been and over every rule that has ever been. He is, we live in the lordship of Christ and it comes to completion in Revelation 19. Uh, victory over the curse of sin uh, in Hebrews 4 uh, we have one, a high priest, who, was, who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We have one who has gone before us through the curse of sin, but did not sin. He did what none of us could do, and none of us would do, none of us has done. He did not sin. And then in him, uh, we see that for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Through Jesus' salvation for us, we are shaped by um, saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions. We are brought into a new way of being. We are shaped as a new type of person. In him the world has been overcome, the world that is cursed by sin. I have told you these things, says Jesus, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The world that is enslaved and, and captured in sin is overcome by Jesus. And then finally we move to be shaped by the Spirit into being a new type of person. Those who belong to Christ, those who are in Christ, those who are united in Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We move from being one type of thing to being another type of being. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we're shaped by something else in Christ. 
And finally, victory over death, Acts 2. Uh, uh, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Our victor has gone before us and we participate in his victory over death. Death could not hold him and death cannot hold us. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Where O death is your victory, where O death is your sting. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ over death. So what we see is this uh, progression of participation, that he is the one that we are united with, and his victory, what is true of his victory, is then true of us. That we get to live and enjoy the victory of Christ and the blessings of that. To help us think about that a little more, um, I'm going to jump to an Old Testament story, the story of David and Goliath. It helps us to think about what it means to live in the victory of the king. So you can read the story of David, everyone know the story of David and Goliath? Yeah, yeah, good. Somebody did. You get the idea, there's the short guy, there's the really tall guy, the short guy beats the really tall guy. That's the shortest summary, that's like tweet version. Um, there's two ways to read this story, right? Two ways to read this story. Uh, the first one is this. The first one is this. In the David and Goliath story, the David and Goliath story teaches us to be like David. You, right now, are being trained by God and built up just like David was as he defeated lions and bears to protect the sheep. You, right now, are being built up and trained as a little individual and being worked on and being shaped to one day, it's like a Rocky montage in my head right now, um, uh, building up to the point at which when you face your Goliath, you will defeat your Goliath. What are the Goliaths in your life? You will defeat them. You will be victorious. That is not what that story is about. We are not the king of our story. We aren't David. If anything, we are the soldiers in the army who could not defeat Goliath. We are the soldiers who receive the blessings of the victory. We are the soldiers that watch on as our king goes forward and defeats the Goliath of our lives. Sin. Jesus is the greater David defeating our greatest enemy, sin, and all its cronies. And so we don't walk forward being uh, victorious and uh, prideful and filled with, look what I'm going to do. We walk forward enjoying the blessing of the one who has brought the victory for us. We live in the victory. Here's the thing. Sometimes we live as Christians as though the victory has not been won. Sometimes we live as followers of Jesus, as if the war is still raging on. There's a story of a a Japanese intelligence officer who was on an island in the Philippines, um, uh, and he served there during World War II, um, and he continued to serve there until 1974. That's a big deal, because the war finished 29 years earlier. He was still fighting the same war that had ended 29 years earlier. He only stopped fighting that war when they found someone who had served with him and brought that person to the island to say the war is over. Sometimes we fight as Christians as if the war has not already been won. We fight battles that God has already won. 
What we need to do is live in his victory. We need to seek to um, live and be in Christ. We need to live in the truth that God is providing for us through the spirit that he is investing in us and building in us to defeat the lies of Satan. That's something God does in us. It's a victory he has in us, on our behalf. We need to seek to live in Christ, not to be enslaved to sin, but to say no to sin because Christ is building in us a holiness and a desire to not be in sin. Christ has victory in us. We need to be in Christ and no longer live in fear of death for Christ has won the victory over death. And there's still, like, there's still battles. It feels like we still battle against sin and we still battle against those things, uh, but the war has been won. And when the war has been won, it's a very different battle. We live in the space where we battle back and forth with these things, but the war has been won. Sin is like a chicken with its head cut off. It runs round and it causes a bit of damage and runs into people and fences and stuff and the other chickens. But we know the end of the chicken. It's eventually going to bleed out and die. It's in its last moments. Sin and his cronies are in their last moments. We live not in the centre of the conflict of a story. We live in the epilogue. We live in the epilogue of God's story. The epilogue of God's story, like the epilogue in every story, is the bit where all the major battles have already happened. It's the bit where Frodo has already destroyed the ring. And Sam and Rosie get married. And Frodo goes off to live in the elven land. You're welcome, Bo Lydon. That's for you. The epilogue is the stuff that happens after everything's already finished. It's the stuff where we get to find out what happens to our favourite characters. We live in Christ in the epilogue. The battle has been won. We just get to enjoy it. And we get to live in a culture of victory. Our perception might be that Christians are in fear of defeat, that we're living in a place of anxiety that's building a place of isolation and exclusivity. Anxiety about the future and society needs to be replaced with the hope and joy despite the circumstance. Because here's the thing, our joy is not found in our place in society or the safety of the world, but in the victory of Christ over the enemy of history. Imagine, imagine history is like, um, like a novel. You know the beginning of the book, you've read the introduction, it's creation. You know the end of the story, it's Christ's victory, consummated, finished, done. We know the beginning and the end of a story, you're not worried about the character in the middle. You might be having a rough time in the middle, but you're not freaking out because you know if they make it or not. We know the end of the story. We know the end of Christ having victory over the enemy. The issue is, the more comfort and safety we seek in the world around us, the less joy we will have because we will have anxiety that replaces joy. From defeat to fear to anxiety, we need to move to victory in Christ, hope in Christ leading to joy. In Christ, we seek comfort and safety in his victory, which is done, not joy that rises and falls with history and moments. And our enemy is not other people that disagree with us. We need not fear those who disagree with us. We need not build echo chambers of exclusive communities. Our enemy is not other humans. Our enemy is sin. People aren't our enemies. They are fellow lost people on the journey to the place we happen to know they're looking for. 
We know what they need is Christ, and their fellow journey is with us, not our enemy. So we desire and welcome and love those who disagree with, disagree with us. Our church isn't an echo chamber of agreement, um, but a victorious celebration of Jesus' victory with a room full of people that disagree as we journey towards the finish line in Christ. It's a space where we are all welcome and we get to lovingly disagree together because we all need the same victory. Here's how history looks actually. We tend to see it as like one image of like slow defeat of Christianity. Actually, when we look at, when we read church history carefully, we find it is a movement of boom and bust. There have been big moments when stadiums, of people, stadiums full of people have come and heard about Jesus and turned and believed. And there are other moments when stadiums have been filled with people to watch Christians be eaten by lions. Both moments are true of history. Ups and downs, highs and lows, booms and busts. In victory of Jesus, anxiety of the future is covered by our joy in knowing the end of the story. See, Christ's victory has stayed the same. It hasn't gone up and down. It hasn't moved. History moves. Moments move. We experience different things at different times. And we we can be concerned about the world that we exist in right now, but we need not fear defeat. We need to seek to live in the victory won for us. There's a guy in church history called uh, Charles Simeon. Uh, Charles Simeon was a minister at a very interesting time, uh, in a very interesting place. Um, uh, his experience was that he'd be writing sermons in his office um, and people would be having sex on the, on the doorsteps of his church to ridicule him. Um, he started running Bible studies, not because it was a strategically smart move. Um, he started running Bible studies in people's houses because his wardens locked him out of the church on every day of its Sunday. Because he was preaching the gospel. He was in a bit of a dip. He was in the decline. What's fascinating as you look at church history is this. Renewal often comes through decline and a sense of defeat. Because when everything is taken away, when comfort is removed, in that moment, all the things you can hold on to are taken away and all you can do is walk deeper with Jesus. All you can do in that moment is retreat into the victory of the cross. All you can do is retreat in the victory of Christ. See, Charles Simeon, in that moment, um, was incredibly lonely and incredibly uh, exhausted by the conflict that was going on, but it caused him to retreat deeper into his relationship with Jesus. And then out of that, God brought renewal and revival to the place where he worked. Christianity is not on the losing side of history. God is not on the wrong side of history. If history is written by the victors, Christ is writing history. It's his story. In this moment, we may have concern for what is happening, but we need not fear. We get to live in Christ's victory over the great enemy of history. The battle may wage on around us like a storm, but we live in the joy of the victory won, peaceful in the middle. Let me pray. Father, you are big and we are small. Thank you that yeah, we get to walk with you. That is not a victory that we seek, but a victory that is gifted to us. That you defeat our great Goliath, sin, and all his cronies. Father, thank you that we get to live in your victory now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.